Welcome to the Cairo Radio Rundown, the podcast where we collect all the host takes on the biggest stories of the day and force them to compete involuntarily. There are no winners or losers, except for the ones who decide in your own head. I'm Jake Rummel, by day, the producer of The Tom and Curly Show, and by night, your tour guide on the safari that is the Cairo Radio political landscape. Today, we're going to talk about women's sports, and to start the story, we have to go back to a column soccer star Megan Rapino published in the Players' Tribune on October 5th. Rapino writes, when it comes to U.S. women's soccer, the general perception is that, let's face it, we're white girls next door. The straight, cute, unthreatening suburban white girls next door. It's not actually who we are, but by and large, that's the perception. And it's certainly how we're marketed to a lot of people. She goes on later, I just have to wonder, when I see the millions of viewers we're getting in the Shine on Sports Center and the talk show appearances and the endorsement deals and all of that, where's that same energy for the best women's basketball players on the planet? Where's that energy for the women's sports that instead of scanning cute and white and straight, scan tall and black and queer. The day after that column was published, Rapino's girlfriend Sue Bird won the WNBA championships with the Seattle Storm. This weekend, Sue Bird reiterated Rapino's comments in a CNN interview. To be completely like blunt, but also kind of simple, soccer players generally are you know cute little white girls, and I think basketball players, we're, we're all shapes and sizes. We have, like I said earlier, you know, 70 to 80 percent black women, um, a lot of gay women. We're tall. We're big. And I think there's just maybe like this intimidation factor with that. Um, you know, people are quick to talk about it, judge it, put it down. And I, and soccer, you just don't see that just based on how they look. She went on to clarify that it isn't just a marketing problem. The, the problem is it's not the marketing per se. The problem is how society and how the outside world is willing to accept mm the cute girl next door, but not willing to accept or embrace or, you know, I guess not judge these these basketball players who are tall, black, gay. That's kind of, to me, where, where the issue is. What I feel like I've learned throughout that process is you have to be who you are. You have to be true to who you are and authentic. We are, you know, representing all that we are. We're representing every day the values that we want to push forward in our world. Um, and I feel like you can go to bed at night and sleep well knowing you're being true to yourself, and and that's more important than anything. I first heard about this when Jean Ursula raised the issue with Stacey Rost of 710 ESPN. This statement over the weekend, Sue Bird, I don't know if you heard about this, Mm. but Sue Bird said people don't tune in to the WNBA because players are predominantly black, Mm -hmm. unlike cute and white and straight soccer players. Mm. When you hear that statement, what comes to mind? Um, I think the complexities and like intersectional or intersectionality of, of sexism, I think it's a really important statement to make. I'm glad she made it. I think that we can all agree that sexism exists. If you don't think it exists, I don't, I don't know what world you've been living in. Um, but I think that another really important thing that Sue Bird, uh, draws attention to here is the idea that like it is doubly difficult for women of color. Um, for black women and especially for black women uh, who are not heterosexual, who are gay or um, if you're I mean, if you're if you are not a heterosexual white female, it is all the more harder for you. Um, I think it's a really important point. And I think there's a lot of truth to it. Ursula immediately followed up. How do you change that? though? I mean, are you going to read her quote? She says it's 70 to 80 percent black women Mm -hmm. and a lot of gay women. We're tall. We're big. Mm -hmm. And I think there's just maybe this intimidation factor with that. People are quick to talk about it, judge it, put it down. And soccer, you just don't see that just based on how they look. Yeah, I think that you change it by 
changing the way that we view and accept women. Because when you think about even sexism faced by women, what makes a woman more acceptable is always through like a male lens, right? Mm-hmm. Are you this like petite, cute little blonde? None of those things speak to your ability as someone in sports, mm-hmm. um, but they are things that make you more conventionally attractive through a male lens. And again, that's not every man's point of view no. by far. It's yes, discrediting no. men, in fact, to say that men see it this it, way all the time. The but, part, yeah, that's the issue I have, too, just in any of these statements. There's right? a lot then, yes. of issues with racism, ageism, ableism, uh, homophobia within sexism. Mm-hmm. And we can't just gloss over it and say, oh, it's hard for women no matter what. I mean, no. Yeah, no, that doesn't even start to yeah, scratch exactly. the surface. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Next, we'll go to Dave Bowes filling in for Dory. He pointed out there are lots of industries that experience this kind of thing. These are the challenges that everybody, I mean, look, some politicians, they're, they shoot to the top of the heap because they've got the best hair. They got the good look. Television anchors, you know, there's you don't see a whole uh, a whole host of ugly television anchors. You know, you have people that um, where where. Uh, beauty or certain looks can help you achieve um, in certain ways. You, you first you have to recognize that women's basketball is is different from men's basketball and is it's not at the same speed as men's basketball. You could prove that given you know enough observation and examination of film and other things. It doesn't mean it's not worthwhile. It doesn't mean that that people don't love it. It just means that it's different from men's basketball. But it's also speculated that all the political activism permeating women's basketball could be a factor as well. You know, part of the thing is I always associate women's basketball with with kind of politics and cause rather than just it being the sport. You know, to me, people go to sports for an escape. They want to get away from that. The the claim here is that soccer is not popular because, you know, it's the cute girls next door and basketball is not popular because it's, you know, tall, black and gay. Well, I mean, the soccer players aren't tall, um, but for crying out loud, I mean, the, the most outspoken soccer player is, is clearly identified as gay. So, And she's world famous and, and adorned the headlines of, of papers everywhere. I don't think that that's, you know, um, diminished her appeal. Okay, next I'm going to play a few cuts from the Tom and Curly show. I try to keep it to two per show at max. I'm going to do three here. I apologize if that seems a little self-serving since it's the show that I work on. I just thought the guys had a really good conversation on this one. As a former season ticket holder, I would never trade one moment, one second that I experienced there. And I never watched one of those games thinking about anybody's sexuality, their Mm. color of their skin, anything. I went because I was a fan of the way they play basketball. I was a fan of the way they treat the fans. I was sitting next uh, to, I won't mention his name, former Sonic, and he was Mm -hmm. making fun of the fans standing and stuff. And then I looked over at another guy. There were also Sonics. They were sitting there, and they were not standing when everybody else was standing. The rule is when you go to the game, you do not sit in the second half until the the storm scores, right? So everybody's standing. The entire place standing, (laughs) except for those two guys. (laughs) And I turned and I said to this other NBA player who was actually standing with me, I said, you see those two guys? They're too cool for school, but Mm -hmm. what they're doing is they're sending, they're trying to send a signal that they don't participate in this. And you know what? They're not doing themselves any favors. 
You get in with the culture of the Seattle Storm. You're a part of it. You're swept up in it. And the color and the gender and the sex, none of that matters one iota. Tom did acknowledge maybe it doesn't really make sense to compare women's soccer and women's basketball in this way. People tune in to the women's national soccer team. Yeah. Because, first off, it's USA, and secondly, they're like the best in the world. I mean, if if they were, if this was a, a international competition, mm-hmm. I think it might be a, a somewhat different. I would get a di- you know viewed di- differently. I don't know that national soccer team they don't play every day like a regular team would. Like the WNBA has teams and they have leagues. The national soccer team I think draws together. I don't know that women's soccer leagues like the Seattle Reign draw better than the Seattle Storm, for instance, do. And the Seattle Storm now this year is a little uh, anomaly because of mm-hmm. COVID. But yeah. Seattle Seattle Storm, they they are the uh, champions. I don't know that that's really. You know that comparison is comparable. Yeah. I also think there's more pe- there's more there's more interest in basketball than there is in soccer. I would think. No, one Maybe billion not a- people tune in globally, worldwide to watch no, 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 the I FIFA mean- women FIFA Women's World Cup. Yes. yes. No, I know. But I mean, in this country, the regular leads like Seattle Rain, do they not do they draw better than uh, the the uh, Seattle Storm? I don't think so. But I don't I don't know. I don't know either. But I think so. We might be comparing uh, apples and oranges. Last thing on this. John got even more personal about his history with the team. And you can hear the cognitive dissonance as he tried to square his goodwill for the team with his frustration over these suburb comments that he clearly disagreed with. Also, a quick note, if you don't know, Charlie he talks about Charlie in this cut. He's talking about his daughter. It's- Biggest competition that they used to have uh, talking to people that were involved with the Seattle Storm were, was the sun. They said, you know, you get so many, so few sunny days in Seattle, and it's oh, summertime. Okay. And the then Phoenix you say to yourself, not the Phoenix, although they sun. were good too, yes. uh, <laughs> that you have so many few sunny days that you're thinking, okay, it's 4 o'clock or it's 1 o'clock on a Saturday. Do I want to go into the dark key arena mm. and go in there? And, you know, we did. We loved it, right? It was yeah. huge for us. Uh, Simone Edwards was a, is a dear friend. I, I hope she's doing well. We used to have her at the house for dinner all the time. And she was just like, we went for, to see Simone. We went to see Sue and Lauren and the rest of the gang. It was like mm-hmm. we sat right in the front row. We have Charlie uh, holding on to a little teeny tiny handmade sign says, I've been waiting for the championships all my life. <laughs> and I think she was like six months old. And Sue picks her up and runs around the court with her. And it's like, it was like, Tom, I'm telling you, I, I am, yeah. I'm sure it is even more intense because of the championships that they win. But to me, it is, it's how they treat the fan. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't tell the fan, don't tell me, Sue, that, that the people, people choose to watch soccer differently than or watch that yeah. because they don't want it this because it's the, the color of the person's skin or their, their I don't know, mm-hmm. whether they're homosexual or heterosexual. I don't know. I just, God, I hate all that. Is it icing everything? This happens every once in a while. Seattle's Morning News didn't address this story, but I always like to make sure we still get a chance to hear from them. So I grabbed Colleen O'Brien's daily dose of kindness from today, and I'll tell you why. It takes a minute to pay off, but I love so much at the end of this clip, Colleen's sheer joy at presenting this, and Dave Ross's complete disinterest. Last month, a young boy developed an unbreakable bond with a, we'll call it a unique object. And sometimes kindness comes straight from mom when she allows it. CBS's Steve Hartman is on the road with the story of the innocence of young love. It's hard being an only child. Put the dirt in there. Especially during a pandemic. Which may explain why two-year-old Theo Brady of Salt Lake City, Utah, recently felt a strange attraction to a Halloween decoration. 
I think he got kind of lonely and he found this skeleton and is like, oh, this can be my friend. <laughs> so, to placate her son, Abigail Brady agreed to something utterly ridiculous. Like, I was just swallowed all my pride and was like, you know, if this makes my son happy, I'm going to do it. Do what, you ask? Take them on a play date to the beach. Abigail was secretly hoping that would be the end of it. But the pair hit it off famously. And for the last month, Theo and the skeleton, who they named Benny, have been joined at the hip bone, dining together, dressing up as ghosts, and winding down at the end of a hauntingly long day. Yeah, some some weird way it's comforting. He likes to read Benny books, which is so cute and creepy, but cute. Are you excited to take Benny to the grocery store? Creepy, but cute. It's not exactly what most parents want for a baby's first bromance, but the bond is undeniable. No bones about it. Whether they're at the market mm, or on the playground, if not for a lack of an epidermis, you'd swear this skeleton was Theo's brother from another mummy. In fact, Aww. at times, Benny almost seemed happy. Look. His humorous clearly showing. And who wouldn't want this kind of friend for their child? He just sees the skeleton as someone that needs love. Yeah, I think it's fine. Unless he starts walking around with a casket. Yeah, then that's then that's like, oh my gosh, that's too up. far. <laughs> and like, It's a giant skeleton, too. I mean, because <laughs> Benny looks maybe about three, and the skeleton is a full-size skeleton. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> so it's sitting in the grocery cart as she's pushing them along, and oh, so Benny's trying to feed, or no, the skeleton is Benny. I forget. But the young boy's trying to feed him an avocado. <laughs> I don't believe skeletons can actually digest avocados. Well, don't tell the young kid oh, that. Okay. okay. You're too logical, Mr. Ross. Yeah, I know, I know. So, that's the Cairo Radio Rundown for October 20th, 2020. Once again, I'm Jake Rummel. I also produce, edit, and mix this show. For more information about the Rundown or any of the other shows in the Cairo Radio family, just head to MindNorthwest.com. You don't always have time to listen to every Cairo Radio show, but you'll always have time for the Cairo Radio Rundown. See you on Thursday.